welcome to Westside Unscripted. This is the podcast where pastors loosen their ties, throw away their notes, and answer questions about all things theology and culture. I am Josh Bartels, the assistant to the pastors here at Westside, and I am joined, like usual, by our preaching pastor, Peter Montoro. And he is here today with a book open on his lap, ready to give a, uh, a reading from this book, and I promise it's not a long one. But what did you bring? What did you bring today? Well, the book is a long one, but the reading will be short. Yes, that is correct. And if this sounds a little technical, I'm going to break it down, but it's really good. Human beings cannot establish identity as individuals apart from personal relationships and membership in various social bodies. An individual search for identity, independent of other people, will be unending. <laughs> true identity, like true personality, does not precede relationship but is instead produced by relationship. And so what the author is getting at in that is that in our society, it is, pardon me, it is an unending quest to discover one's identity. You have to discover who you really are from the resources that are within yourself. Who, who am I is a question people ask themselves and they try to discover that by looking within themselves uh, and this is what I preached about on this is what I preached about on Sunday. Um, we actually find our identity, and he doesn't make that this explicit. But we find our identity as we look upward to who God made us to be. But then we find our purpose in life. We find our identity uh, by looking to I'm the husband of my wife Ashley. I'm the father of four children. Um, I'm the son of Pete and Julia Montoro. So, so we find our identity. We find our individuality as we look to the web of relationships that that we're in, and those who you know, try to discover themselves for themselves, uh, end up finding only more and more emptiness. Um, and so we find our individual identity by looking uh, to uh, who we are uh, responsible to yeah. and what and we are responsible and it for. it seems that a lot of times in our culture, the way that the search for identity is portrayed is actually of leaving all of those connections to go find your exactly. identity, which is actually just isolating you from the very thing that you need for yes, identity exactly. formation. Right. So so we remove, it's, it's like... Uh, it's, you know, it's like Lewis, Lewis said, uh, you know, castrating the jeldrings and bidding them to be fruitful. Um, and that's something that our society is doing. It cuts the means of discovering identity and then makes identity everything. And it's no wonder that we've gotten into such a mess. Yep. So we can offer a lot of uh, help just by simply bringing people into relationship with other people. Exactly. So Absolutely. It's really, in some ways, it's very hard and difficult. In other ways, it's pretty simple and straightforward of what the answer is for finding yes. identity can be. Yeah, Absolutely. That's good. Excellent. Uh, so the question today is a short and to the point one, and it is, who wrote Hebrews? Hmm. And why was it Paul? <laughs> <laughs> this could be a really short, uh, short discussion. Um, I don't know who wrote Hebrews. Um, what, so there's a few interesting things. One is that in the early church, it really seemed to be believed almost universally that Paul wrote Hebrews. So Hebrews is transmitted, not with the... So you have sort of two groups of letters. Hebrew gets transmitted with Paul's letters, not with the Catholic, the so-called Catholic epistles or the, the general epistles. Um, so it gets transmitted with the 13 letters of Paul to make a 14th letter of Paul. Um and so, you know, Chris Austin, for instance, he's convinced that Paul wrote Hebrews. Um, so whatever we say about the author of Hebrews, we have to say he's someone close enough to Paul that people thought it was written by Paul. Uh, and so it's seen in the early church as Pauline in some sense. So there's some who do, do raise questions. Um, you know, was it really written by Paul? No one's, you know, quite sure. But even when you dig into those quotes about no one's quite sure, 
you still find, but it's probably Paul. You know, so there's a recognition of some of the challenges because. Um, so what brings up? Why do people think that it wouldn't be Paul? What are some of the objections? Yeah, to so here's why I don't think it was written by Paul, um, and there's some reasons for that. One, um, so I believe it's in Galatians. Paul says, "Here's my signature. It's the token in every letter that I write. So I sign all my letters. You know, so if you want to know if it's for me, here's my signature. Here's what it looks like, and he writes it in big letters at the end of the letter, so everybody can know. Hey, this is Paul's name." Um, so Paul makes, given that Paul makes a big point that he gives his name to his letters, it seems to me inconsistent, um, that he would give this long letter that would be one of the longest and deepest and richest of his letters and not sign it. It doesn't, doesn't seem to make sense. It doesn't seem to add up, seem to be consistent, um, with what he declared to be, you know, given all the persecution that he'd faced, it's, it's just hard to, you know, that he's writing his letters from prison and signing those. It's hard for me to imagine that the same person would change his, his tack that strongly. Um, there's another passage in Hebrews that talks about, um, uh, learning the gospel from others. So Paul makes a big point that he learned his gospel from Christ. Uh, but there's a passage, um, I forget, the, I don't have the reference to my mind, but it, um, it, it talks about uh, being a second, you, you know, that depending on how you interpret it, but it seems pretty clearly to be saying um, that we receive the gospel from those who are the followers of Christ. So again, given that Paul in Galatians makes a big point that he receives his gospel directly from Christ on the road to Damascus, that would seem to be inconsistent. Um, so those would be those would be the two strong reasons. The third reason is that you know while certainly the um, the scriptures as a whole are consistent with one another, there's no contradiction. Different writers have different theological emphasis, different ways that they interact with the Old Testament, for instance, or different things that they place emphasis on. Um, and so you know, so if you know, in an extreme case, you know, James and Romans are perfectly consistent, and yet it'd be very difficult to believe that the same person wrote James and Romans, right? So you can have two preachers who preach the same gospel, but they still have their own stamp, their own emphasis that they would place on it, um, even if there's nothing incompatible about what they're saying. You know, you still have different distinctives, different ways that ways of speaking. You know, so if you were to listen to a sermon by Brother Josh or a sermon by me, it'd be hard to, you know, we have very different styles. Um, and I love Brother Josh's preaching, and I hope that uh, he gets to preach more uh, here in the near future. I think that's a really good thing. But no one would listen. You know, if we had a transcript... You wouldn't confuse the two, um, even though, you know, I don't think we have any major theological differences. There wouldn't be a contradiction there, but there's still a distinctive style, um, even though we have a lot of things. If you look at the broad spectrum of Christianity, you know, we have an awful lot in common, but just our distinctive style is different. Um, and so both at the level of Greek style, but even at the level of, so, you know, the uh, the just shall live by faith that Paul quotes in Galatians and in Romans, um, Hebrews quotes it as well. And it, it uses it in a very different way than Paul uses it. It's not incompatible. It's not a contradiction. But it certainly would be odd to see Paul using that same verse as like a key verse in his other epistles in a way that's very different um, from the way that, you know, he uses it in letters that we do know are written by him. And so I would sum up the case for why Paul, you know, so on the one hand, it's somehow connected to Paul. Um, you also have mention of Timothy, who's in Paul's circle. You have mention of Rome. Um, so there's some... Um, you know, there's some things that it's not just the other churches placing it with the letters of Paul, but there's also even things within the letter that would put it within Paul's circle, mentioning, you know, that's one of the few names that's mentioned specifically. Um, our brother, Tim, uh, you know, know that our beloved brother Timothy is set at liberty. Um, so he's there, he's at least writing to people who know Timothy, who is one of Paul's, you know, sort of protégés. Um, 
So who wrote it? Uh, I don't know. Um, it's someone who knew Greek very well. Most likely, it seems that the writer of Hebrews was familiar only with the Old Testament and Greek, not in Hebrew. So that's another thing. Paul Paul is pretty clearly familiar with both Hebrew and Greek forms of the Old Testament, whereas the writer of Hebrews is very much a Greek speaker, native Greek speaker, in a way that Paul isn't. Paul writes decent enough Greek, but the the book of Hebrews is, you know, if you're reading in Greek, it's a whole other level of challenge. It's harder. Um, it's more literary than Paul's style. So the style's different. Um and so it's someone who's very educated, someone who's a native Greek, almost certainly a native Greek speaker, or at least more trained in a Greek culture than Paul would be, and, and familiar with the Old Testament primarily, exclusively in Greek. Um, and so, you know, candidates for that, you know, people that have been proposed, Apollos, you know, is an obvious one, uh, Luke is one, um, you know, different different people like that have been, have been proposed, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I... I it's an apostolic writing, even if we don't. It's an apostolic writing that has some connection to Paul, even if we're not sure of exactly who wrote it. Um, and because of that, some of the some of the dispute over authorship, um, there were portions of the church early on that took a little while to accept it, um, and yet eventually it became recognized that this is clearly uh, part of the canon, and it's it's given to us, and we should receive it as scripture. And I think this is a good opportunity to kind of press you in another. Uh area that I've heard you talk about when it comes to understanding what the Bible is saying, uh, we always have to con- take into consideration what the author themselves are saying, but how do we do that when we don't know who the author is? How, how, how do you wrestle with that? If the author is contended or contested, you know, who, do, who wrote it, then can we access the author's intent? How do, you, how do you go about accessing the author's intent when you can't see who it was that wrote? Well, you know, I, I'd say like when you're when you're going about that, that it's really you're looking for the implied author and the implied readership. You know, so you know, so for instance, we don't know. You know, all we know about Paul is what Acts tells us and what his letters tell us. You know, so it's not like we have this body of data about Paul um, that you know then we can use to interpret his letters apart from the letters themselves. Um, and so, knowing someone's name is less significant than reading the text with a view to, to gaining a view of the situation that's in, you know, so there are questions we just can't answer. And sometimes that affects it. The more we know about the situation, the more we can be certain we've got the interpretation right. Um, you know, but we can still, you know, just looking at the letter, you know, we can tell there's some level of persecution that's taking place. Um, and yet it's not, you know, you've not resisted under blood striving against sin. Um, so the writer is separated from his readers. Um, so you can learn that about it. So just even reading it and sort of getting the information we can get about. So so what we don't want to do is we don't want it to have, and, and this is what I would push against when I'm saying that, is we don't want an interpretation of the text that would make no sense to the original writer or to the original readers. You know, so that's a big problem with Revelation. Revelation, for instance, it's clear from the text, is written as an exhortation to churches that were extant, write them. So however we interpret Revelation, we've got to insist the interpretation has to at least be in continuity, has to, had to have been able, if it's written to encourage those churches and to exhort those churches, it had to have been able to do that. So if we have an interpretation that doesn't do that, uh, then we've got Revelation wrong. Um, and the same thing with, with Hebrews, you know, we, we may not know all the details about who wrote it or what his circumstances are, you know, but we we do know that there's persecution taking place. We know that people are being tempted to go back to Judaism. Um, so we know a number of we know a number of things about that that we can then use to sort of 
thinking in that way, in, in, in other words, thinking in that way about the implied author and the implied reader can still be a useful exercise, even when we can't put a name. Sometimes we can't put a name to either end of the, you know, in the book of Psalms, for instance. It's still a, it's still a useful thought exercise, um, even when, you know, there's details we don't know. Which means we have to build our interpretation primarily from the text. Exactly. Not from some uh, archaeological uh, artifact that we can kind of look at and say, hey, this is interesting. Maybe this is why he's saying this. And so we build the entire interpretation off right. of something that's outside of the text. Uh, and then we import a meeting that if that piece of archaeology were debunked, our entire, exactly. Our exactly. entire exegesis yes. is gone. So it really, you know, asking those questions isn't a way of placing dependence on things outside of the text, but a sort of a guide to help us pay attention to what is in the text, yeah. um, which looks differently for different, you know, different genres and different time periods. But it really is, you know, focusing on on the text and focusing on the text in its context and then, you know, knowing that scripture is in unity, you know, not uh, accepting interpretations that would run contrary to the rule of faith, for instance, the the basic Christian beliefs, like the, the things we'd find in the Apostles' Creed, um, you know, the, the foundation stones of Christianity. So even if, you know, there's some, you know, taking the Trinity for an example, even if there's an individual text that could be interpreted consistently with the Trinity or inconsistently with the Trinity, knowing that that is the teaching of the scriptures as a whole, then we're going to pick the interpretation that is consistent um, and uh, really you know, sticking sticking with the rule of faith in that way. So that becomes a limit on our interpretation as well. Yeah, that's good. So a question from the author of Hebrews. Uh, the author is probably not Paul, and we don't know who it was. Exactly. But we can know what Hebrews meant and what it means for us, and we can let it speak to us, even though we don't know exactly who it was that wrote it. Yes, someday. Because there's other books of the Bible that we also don't know. Right, there's a lot of, most yeah. of the Old Testament <laughs> books we don't know who wrote. Um, and so that's, yeah, that becomes, and you can, you can discern, you know, so for instance, you know, another example of this would be Chronicles and Kings. So we can discern from statements within the book that, um, Kings and Chronicles are answering different questions. Chronicles is written much later than Kings. Um, and so, you know, Kings is answering the question. It's telling the story, answering the question, was God just in sending his people into exile? And Chronicles, now that, you know, we've gone through the exile, and this is this is not the long exile from sin that's talked about in Daniel. It's, you know, the actual Babylonian exile of the people going into captivity. You know, so Kings is, is a, you know, see, Kings is much more negative about the kings. It highlights their sins because it's answering that, you know, question of theodicy, is God just for doing this? Whereas Chronicles uh, is much more focused on, is there any hope left for the people of God? I mean, so you'll find that Chronicles will take, you know, will leave some of some of Solomon's sins that get dealt with in Kings are left out in Chronicles. And so when you when you you know read the whole text and you discern an overall purpose, then all of a sudden the particular details that get emphasized make a lot more sense. Um, and so even without knowing who wrote Chronicles or who wrote Kings, without even having any candidates to suggest, um, and, and in Hebrew both Chronicles and Kings are one book. It's not you know Volume One and Volume Two. That's just sort of an arbitrary split. Um, so, you know, without knowing anything about the authors at all, even being able to give a guess, we can still ask about what's the, what's the point of view that this is being written from and answer those questions from the text themselves. Um, and so that'd be another example of doing the same thing. Yeah, that's good. If you have been listening to this and you have questions or follow up uh, questions from this discussion, or if you have any other question from the Bible, 
uh, some thought about biblical authorship, biblical interpretation, theology, culture, anything like that, and you had a question that came to your mind during this discussion, you can send those in to me at josh at bibledirectionforlife.com, and I will queue those up in our discussion queue, and we will get to them uh, whenever we can. And uh, so we, we are here each week with a new question for Pastor Peter to answer about the Bible, theology, and culture. So thanks for being here with us today and for listening in, and we will be with you next week. Mm-hmm.